Hey folks, it's JR. Back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. This is going to be episode 88, Hot Potato Shuffle. Before we get into the episode though, let me put out an advisory. I warn you, do not eat a full meal 12 hours prior to watching this episode. Just telling you. It's like going swimming. Don't eat and go swimming. Don't eat and then listen to this episode. Because this one will definitely cause you some stomach consternation for sure. Anyways, and I'll give you a hint. It's, uh, it's going to be a review of some stuff in particular. The, the command staff uh, meetings at the school. But anyways, I warned you. So if you listen to this episode, after you hear what was going on, you get nauseated. It's not my fault. I warned you. Okay? Listen to this episode on an empty stomach. All right, let's get into this episode. Below is a summary of the staff meetings held at Shannon Elementary School during the Shannon Street Incident. January 11, 1983, at 11.30 p.m., Director John D. Holt held a staff meeting in the Shannon Elementary School cafeteria. Those in attendance were Deputy Chief Harold Ray, Deputy Chief Tom Marshall, and Chief Inspector Sidney Cole, Fred Warner, A.L. Williams, and Inspector S.O. Jackson. Director Holt advised that Lindbergh Sanders had indicated he was holding a cocked pistol to Officer Hester's head and would blow his brains out if he attempted to enter. Sanders had also indicated he wanted to talk with C.J. Morgan, a disc jockey for WLOK, so he could blow Hester's brains out over the radio. Director Holt also advised that after monitoring the voices coming from inside the house on the F1 frequency, the occupants of the house appeared to be extremely high on either alcohol or some type of drug. It was the opinion of the staff that should an attempt be made to enter at this time, it could mean certain death for Officer Hester, and the possibility existed that the assault officers could be seriously injured or killed. The staff agreed it was best not to assault at this time and to continue to negotiate. It was felt that through negotiations we might be able to get the occupants inside to surrender, thus avoiding injury to anyone. And if you remember, I think it was the last episode, that memo that uh, the chief sent over special ops, how he wanted to go in and... Uh, so when you look at this this review here, it says the, the staff agreed. Well, that wasn't unanimous, but conveniently they leave that out. Of course, this also reminds me of, okay, well, we got somebody out there who's just been shipwrecked. He's out in the middle of the ocean, shark-infested waters. The sharks could get him. The barracudas could get him. So let's don't send in the lifeguards to save him. Let's don't send the Coast Guard divers in to get him. Let's don't do any of that because, I mean, the sharks could attack and, and kill the fella, so we, we can't save him. And he also could injure the lifeguards of the Coast Guard. So we're not going to do anything. We're just going to let the guy drown. 
January 11, 1983, at 11.53 p.m., Captain Lewis advised Director Hope that Lindbergh Sanders had just made the statement that everyone in the house was okay except him. He had been shot in the arm. January 12, 1983, at 2 a.m., Director Hope held a staff meeting in the Shannon Elementary School cafeteria, and staff members in attendance were Deputy Chief Harold Ray, Deputy Chief Tom Marshall, Chief Inspectors S.L. Cole, J.D. Moore, Fred Warner, A.L. Williams, Inspector S.O. Jackson, and Captain Jim Music. Inspector Moore advised the staff that he had heard what sounded like hammering coming from inside the 2239 Shannon, and he felt like that they were barricading the doors and windows to prevent us from entering should we decide to assault. He also advised that he could hear what sounded like Officer Hester being beaten and screaming from inside the house. Inspector S.O. Jackson advised the staff that intelligence information at this time indicated that Lindbergh Sanders and his son were avid hunters and had a gun collection in the house, which consisted of rifles and shotguns. It was also pointed out at this time that Lindbergh Sanders was still indicating that he had the pistol at Officer Hester's head and wanted to kill him over the radio. Captain Jim Music was asked, that should we decide to assault at this time, what were the chances of the assault team going in, rescuing Officer Hester, and getting out without anyone being hurt? Captain Music replied, not too good. Well, that's a loaded question you're at, asking Captain Music. What, what's he supposed to tell you? Now nobody will get hurt? So we're going to throw Captain Music under the bus now, huh? Captain Music giving you an honest answer. Y'all running with it. During this meeting, a request was made from the hostage negotiation team that they be allowed to have the gas cut off at 2239 Shannon. This request was granted. I guess that was considered safe to shut the gas off. By the way, more likely the ones that cut the gas off, they probably had to do it at the house, which means the TAC unit had to crawl up there and do it themselves. Amazing. Still feeling that to assault at this time would mean certain death for Officer Hester. <laughs> yeah, let's just draw it out and let him get beaten to death. And now feeling that they had barricaded the windows and doors, which po posed a greater danger to the safety of the assault team, that decision was made by the staff to continue negotiations. Yes, it's a good decision by the staff. I know y'all are under a lot of pressure, life-threatening decisions to be made while you're happily sitting in the cafeteria, probably drinking coffee, to continue negotiating, hoping that this would resolve this incident without injury to anyone. Yes, let's ignore the problem and hope it goes away. Page 2 continued. Summary of staff meetings at Shannon Elementary School during Shannon Street Incident. January 12, 1983, at 5 a.m., Captain Don Lewis advised that there appeared to be some dissension among the people inside the house, and he felt like they might be getting ready to come out. January 12, 1983, at 7 a.m., Sergeant Walter Cruz, later to become Director Walter Cruz, advised that he had just heard Officer Hester yell out, Do what they want. Cruz also advised Officer Hester's voice sounded very clear and strong, and I'm not even going to make comment about 
what I think about that opinion. January 12, 1983, at 5 p.m., a meeting was held in the Shannon Elementary School lounge. Oh, now we went to the lounge where cafeteria is no longer good enough. Staff members in attendance were Director Holt, Chief Inspectors S.L. Cole, J.D. Moore, Fred Warner, A.L. Williams, and Captain Don Lewis. Director Holt advised the staff that he would be leaving the area for a short period of time, and he placed Chief Inspector J.D. Moore in command till he returned. Uh-huh. I bet you J.D. Moore was told, don't do nothing till I get back. Inspector Moore asked Director Holt what he should do should the occupants inside the house decide to surrender, throw Hester's throw Officer Hester's body outside or decide to come out shooting. Good Lord. Hey, are you kidding me? You're an inspector and you got to ask the director what you're supposed to do. You ain't got to do nothing. The police know what they're supposed to do. They got a policy and procedure. Hey, this is just amazing. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm not saying anything else. Director Ho advised that should they surrender to take them immediately to the TAC unit command post and security squad personnel had already been instructed that should this occur, they were to immediately transport all suspects to police headquarters. It, you treat them just like you would anybody else you arrest. Oh, my Lord. He also advised that should they throw Officer Hester's body out and there was apparent life to use whatever force was necessary to get Officer Hester to safety so that he could receive medical treatment. Oh, my God. And you have to be told that? No, let's just leave his body out in the yard. It could be too risky to go up there and get his body. We'll just leave him out in the yard, right? Oh, my God. He also advised that should there be no sign of life not to assault, he stated that should they come out shooting, do whatever they had to do to control the situation. Oh, my Lord. And, folks, this is not make-believe. This is really, this is a real memo from the Memphis Police Department. My God, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Oh, my God. I got news for you. If they throw Officer Hester's body out there, you can't, from 100 yards away, determine if he's alive or not. So you've got to go recover his body, alive or dead. That means you send a tack unit up there with the shield, right? And they, they go up there, and they recover the body. That's what you're going to do. Oh, my Lord. Captain Don Lewis, commander of the hostage negotiation team, requested that they be allowed to cut the electrical service to 2239 Shannon. This request was approved. January 12, 1983, at 10 p.m., Director Hope returned to Shannon Elementary School. Thank God nothing happened, or if it did, they didn't mention it. And in Update meeting was held in the lounge area. Staff members in attendance were Chief Inspectors S. Cole, J. Moore, F. Warner, A. Williams, Captain J.D. Music, and Sergeant C. Huff. At this meeting, Director Hope was advised that there had been no sound or movement from inside 2239 Shannon since 6 p.m. this date. Director Hope is instructed Chief Inspector Warner to contact organized crime to see if they had 
a power mic since the other listening devices being used at this time were not effective. And this was this has been brought up several times. But the question comes back to why did we wait? This is literally 13 hours after the event has occurred, right? 13 hours. And we're just now talking about, hey, you know what? We really can't hear inside the, the house. I wonder if our police department has any other listening devices that would be more powerful. Sergeant J.C. Kellum assigned to the organized crime unit was contacted by Chief Inspector Warner, who advised him to bring their power mic to the Shannon Street Elementary School. Sergeant Kellum advised, I'm sorry, he arrived at the school at approximately 10.30 p.m. and with the assistance of the TAC unit, placed the monitoring device in a window located in the northwest corner at 2239 Shannon. This mic was monitored by Sergeant Kellum and Lieutenant Hank Thomas. Now, if you recall, folks, in previous episodes, we went over their statements, the one statements given by Sergeant Kellum and Lieutenant Thomas. And also, let me point out to the fact that putting this mic up into the window with the TAC unit, you're putting the TAC unit at risk, just like you did when you did anything else. Most of this, these things that you're having to do to the house, the TAC unit's having to crawl up there and do it. So you're putting them at risk. They're six feet from Bobby Hester. Why don't you just go and go in the house? But that's even dumb to even ask that question. We we know why. And if you don't know, before these episodes are over, I will tell you why. January 13, 1983, at approximately 2.30 a.m., a staff meeting was held in the Shannon Elementary School cafeteria, and staff members in attendance were. Director Hope, Deputy Chief Tom Marshall, Chief Inspectors S. Cole, J. Moore, F. Warner, A. Williams, Inspector S. O. Jackson, Captain J. D. Music, and Lieutenant Hank Thomas. Lieutenant Thomas advised the staff that the conditions inside the house did not sound good from the statements he heard Sanders making while listening to the monitor. He advised that Sanders had made statements like that his father was dead, his brother was dead, and the devil was dead. You're bleeding, motherfucker, but so am I. Don't roll your eyes at me, motherfucker. The devil, the devil was going to. And by the way, that don't roll your eyes at me, that Bobby Hester's eyes aren't rolling. Bobby Hester's dead. His eyes are open and fixed. Page three continued. Die and all the pigs outside was going to die. The devil is dead, and the man you are trying to save is lying here with no air in him either. The pigs want him to cooperate with them, and he was going to cooperate cooperate by giving them something back that they wanted badly, but they would not like the shape it was in when they got it back. Lieutenant Thomas also advised that he heard a clicking sound similar to the cocking and uncocking of a handgun. He could also hear heavy coughing and someone throwing up violently. The staff at the time knew through intelligence information that the occupants of the house did not believe in medical treatment. It was also known that Lindbergh Sanders had been wounded and Officer Hester had been severely beaten. There was also the possibility that another person in the house was also wounded. The staff reviewed the information that was furnished to them at this meeting, along with 
all other information that had been gathered during this 30-hour period. Points that were discussed during this meeting were, is Officer Hester still alive or is he dead since Sanders has repeatedly threatened to kill Officer Hester and any other officer that attempted to enter the house? Well, I'd say that the answer to is Officer Hester alive, I'd say every minute you, you waste having your lounge meetings, I'd say the chances Officer Hester is still alive probably go down precipitously. Are any of the other people in the house besides Lindbergh Sanders seriously wounded or injured? Could a further delay at this time result in Officer Hester or any other occupant of the house die from lack of medical treatment? Is this paralysis from analysis? That's not in there. I, I just threw that one out myself. Number four, since negotiations have been going on for approximately 30 hours, let's say that again, going on for approximately 30 hours, and the negotiators have been unable to establish any meaningful dialogue from anyone in the House, should we continue to negotiate? Wow. At the time of this meeting, no additional information or intelligence had been received to indicate that any of the participants inside the House were willing to negotiate in any manner. The staff, after talk taking all of this information under consideration, made a unanimous decision to assault so that Officer Hester and others in the House could receive medical treatment as soon as possible. I, folks, the, the idiocy of that last statement is just it's beyond, it's beyond me. And let me point out once again that uh, at St. Jude, they had active negotiations, productive negotiations for 30 hours. And then, I was going to say something, I better not say that. But then they only assaulted when negotiations went downhill, when the hostage taker started talking about harming himself or the hostages, they went in. They didn't take 30 hours to decide that They've got to go in. They were actually negotiating, and the hostages were not being harmed. And then they went in with just an hour, hour or so. They were in once it looked like things were going downhill, just a few hours. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. My tummy hurts right now, and I haven't eaten anything in hours. I knew when I had to do this episode, when I looked at this material, I knew how it was going to irritate me and upset me to read this. This is the most disgusting, disgraceful thing. It's just, it, it's, it's just beyond comprehension. All right, folks, enough about that. It is what it is. There to be read. All right, that's enough. Listen, folks, we're going to come back a few days with another episode. And I, I don't know where it's going to go other than I'll tell you, we're still going to be doing follow-up for several, several, several more episodes. All right, folks, as always, I do appreciate you, and I will see you down the road.